I said I said before we we started recording, it should be a lesson to Republicans, and it should be. But I think it also ought to be a lesson to just politicians. Period. Be a person of principle. Have the guts, the courage, the cojones, the balls, if you will, to stand up for what you believe. Stop being punks. Fantastic week of your favorite weekly political podcast for the state of Alabama, aptly named Alabama Politics This Week, with Josh Moon and David Person. Man, we got ourselves an angry show for you today. We are pissed. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, even if we're laughing slightly about it. Uh, uh, And I got to say... Uh, I won't repeat it because it's just so awful, but David used one of the greatest phrases I've ever heard uh, <laughs> prior to us coming on this. I mean, we can't even say it because we're worried that, uh, as as our producer said, that the FCC might start regulating podcasts if we were to use that phrase. But it was well, off the charts. I will use it in the future. I'll tell you that. Okay. Well, you have yeah. my permission. Uh, I, I, I'll my, give you credit. I'll yeah. give you full credit, but it's I'm going to use it at some point. Yeah, I, you you know, uh, our esteemed producer brought up the FCC. My first concern was, boy, if my pastor heard me say that, I'm not, I'm just not sure that that would go over too well. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's right. uh, uh, Yeah, our producer and me were worried about the money. David worried about his soul. Yeah, (laughs) always worried about my soul, man. Always. I understand. I understand. I understand. It's been a weird week, man. It's been, uh, it's been a, it's been a weird week. Um, And you know, I've watched. I wouldn't say I've watched anywhere close to a majority of the confirmation hearings for Ketanji right. Brown Jackson, uh, who who will be our next U.S. Supreme Court justice, um, barring some sort of unforeseen catastrophe that 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 would occur. Right. Um, you know, uh, it's been an embarrassment, honestly. It's been an embarrassment of, you know, and, and people will uh, on the right will will talk about Kavanaugh and uh, being, you know, credibly accused of of sexual assault, which he was. He was credibly accused of sexual assault. Uh, and there was a lady that, that had <laughs> she had a lot of things, you know, she said so there was a lot of memories that she had of, of what took place. And uh, and I think it was definitely something to, to be considered. Um, you know, I don't I think that probably the appropriate amount of weight was put on it, given the, the time that had passed and, and what had happened since then. Uh, but I think it was, you know, those sorts of hearings always bring those things out. Um, and then I, I'll say this as well. I think also in that in that hearing, you had to consider uh, the temperament of somebody who would scream about beer and cry over childhood calendars with Tobin and Squee, um, right. uh, you know, and, and bro Kavanaugh certainly did that. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, he we, was our, I think Josh, he was our, the, probably the worst example, at least in my lifetime that I've ever seen of a Supreme court nominee testifying. I mean, he was just very, Unjudicial, just the antithesis of what you yeah. would want to see, not only in a judge, but mm. in a judge on the highest court in the land. You yeah, know, I was, just 
you know, just ridiculous, man. Ridiculous. Oh, yeah, the temperament was was off the charts, crazy. Uh, you know, the it it, it led to, uh, in my opinion, the greatest SNL skit in recent history uh, mm. of that show, with mm. uh, in which Matt Damon portrayed <laughs> portrayed him, and I just thought it was fantastic. I like beer. Uh, <laughs> we'll start at an eleven. I'm going to take it to a fifteen real quick. Right. <laughs> uh, so, uh, it was just great. But, you know, it's um, and, and, I, and I'll say, you know, the, the one that came after him, Amy Coney Barrett, uh, was uh, she didn't have the temperament issues, but uh, she sure as hell has the experience issues. Uh, she has virtually no experience uh, as, as a judge and was confirmed. Um, you know, this this lady, uh, Katanji Brown Jackson. Um, is probably one of our most qualified nominees in in quite some time. Um, I would say so. Yeah. I mean, what she and you know, God knows, of course she is. She's a black woman get, being you know nominated for the Supreme Court. Of course, she's more qualified than anybody else uh, than, she, than any other white male that's come along in recent history. Yeah, um, and, I, and, and and I'd like to and I'd like to really highlight what you just said because a lot of people. May that may skip that may skip over some people's logic, but let me say that what you just said <clears throat> is so accurate because I think it goes to not only what we've seen and can and can document and quantify, but what many of us in the black community have been told for years and have experienced for years, which is that if we're competing with uh, for a position with a white person. Mm-hmm. We've got to be two, three, four, ten times better in order to just be able to even be considered. I mean, it has to be indisputable, undeniable. I've seen it. You've seen it. Others have seen it. I mean, it's just the way it is. It's the way it is in this country. And and it's and it's really, to be quite frank, it's just damn frustrating that that's the way it is. And yet, that's what we have to live with. Yeah, and, and I'll say this too, uh, with uh, her her first name being Katanji, and we know full well of the studies and things that have gone on in the past of of people who have African American sounding. I'm using air quotes there. Yeah. Uh, sounding names having more trouble uh, getting interviews, uh, being admitted into colleges. Uh, be, I mean, just, uh, go down the list of things. Um, and so the mountain of bullshit that she's had to overcome, my apologies to your pastor, uh, <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> is, he's uh, already heard you say that by uh, now. I yeah, think I'm it, sorry, but I didn't know he was listening until just a little while ago. So <laughs> I just, I just assumed like most pastors, he would never, uh, but you know, it's just, <laughs> Uh, no, it, listen, it, it's the, the amount, the amount of things she has undoubtedly overcome in her life and, um, is, is remarkable to be sitting in that spot. And I, that's the reason why I thought that, uh, that Cory Booker's, um, I don't know if you saw that or not, I uh, did, Cory Booker's yeah. little, little comments yeah. to her, uh, yesterday was really, really, really were moving. Um, mm-hmm. and, and talking about, you know, and the part to me uh, that really got me was uh, him saying, you know, I know what it took for you to sit there, you know, and and that's, you know, that, that really it, just a simple sentence like that often kind of encapsulates the whole thing. And, and, it, and it did, you know, it just was it was it was a very succinct summation of 
uh, of what she's faced, you know, and 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 the realization that they share, uh, as well as other African Americans share, um, this commonality in in you know trying to achieve great things with obstacles in the way that I don't have. Uh, and I know that, and it's a, you know, it's a, a white privilege, you know, and, and I get that. And, um, and, and it, I'm not offended, uh, by somebody saying that, I you know, had a privilege in this. I, yeah. I did. I mean, you know, I, I work hard just fine, but it's nobody is putting, throwing up obstacles, uh, in front of me as I work hard, you know? And, and so that's a difference. Yeah. And, and I would say too, uh, blacks who matriculate through the Ivy league schools have a unique challenge even though I know it's no longer, um, I guess I'll say it's no longer an anomaly to see black people in those Ivy League spaces like Yale, which is where she attended. Uh, but <clears throat> but I, from everything that I hear and everything that I can imagine, um, it's still a challenge for them, you know, because they're viewed as not being uh, it's assumed that they got there because of affirmative action or because, <clears throat> or because of some consideration that suggests that maybe they're not as qualified or as intelligent or, or don't have the right test scores or whatever. You know, meanwhile, as has been pointed out many, many, many times over, there are plenty of people in Ivy League schools who are there only because they're legacies. Yes. Because, you know, daddy or mama or granddaddy or grandmother attended the school. And so that's why they're there. And yep. they're no more qualified to be there than, you know, than the next person. Now, so most of them, I think you're, you're being very kind there because I was going to say, um, I assume that there will pro- there's probably in the history of this uh, some some people who have entered colleges under uh, affirmative action or whatever, you know, racial programs that are, that are there uh, and were not quite the students as some other people were. Uh, there are I guarantee you it doesn't come close. It doesn't come close to the number of dipshit rich kids that have gotten into some school based on the legacy or their father's giving money to somebody, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and the family buying a building somewhere uh, right. on campus. And and those kids rolling in there and they are some of the biggest idiots and goof offs you've ever seen in your life. And that comes from somebody who was a pretty big goof off himself for several <laughs> years of college. So I know how to spot people like me. Okay, Um, uh, believe me, I do. I know what y'all look like. I know what you do. I know the beer we drink. uh, Me and Kavanaugh, Uh, you know. And I and honestly, I have a I have a good friend of mine uh, who went to uh, went to college with with Brett Kavanaugh. Was there for a lot of the things that went on. Um, And so, does he have insight to share about? Not uh, really. Uh, Not really. He was uh, this guy is is a good dude and uh, and a good was a good student and was, uh, has an interesting backstory himself, uh, in life. And, um, and so, and, and is now a very successful attorney and, um, uh, and in the state and he is, a uh, you know, um, but, uh, I, I won't call his name cause I, you know, that yeah. doesn't seem fair to, to just rope him into this for nothing, but, uh, right. you know, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, 
you know, that, that's how it happens. You know, that's how it happens a lot of times is, uh, you know, your, your rich parents get you into these places and then you complain about, uh, you know, some black person that might have gotten in because of affirmative action or something. And it's nonsense. It's always been nonsense. And you have you're right. You have to come overcome that stigma uh, at a number of different places. Um, and, and she's done that. And she's been very successful at every stop. Um, and to sit there and listen to people like Marsha Blackburn, I mean, my God, you know, who basically studied folding towels in college. Um, and wow, I, I mean, stop it. You know, because you define really woman. Yeah, she's well, not so, very impressive, Marsha Blackburn. Oh, not, not very impressive. She makes Tommy Tuberville look like a genius, okay? Um, I mean, and it, it, it's just... <laughs> You know, the, the, the finding the woman and this stuff about the pedophiles and the pedophilia, uh, you know, with them. And, and, and it doesn't matter. They just continue to, to harp on these, these talking points that they have. Cause that's all they have. They don't have anything against this lady. She's not done anything that they can attack and they know it. And so they've taken a few things where she was required by sentencing guidelines to do certain things. Right. And, They've taken those things out of context in an effort to smear her name. Let me tell you well, something. If yeah. I was sitting there, yeah, I'll let you go ahead and just say that. But okay. if I was sitting there, and because you know, they've showed her parents several times, mm-hmm. and if I had to sit, my daughter better never invite me, okay? Because mm-hmm. if I caught Josh Hawley or Ted Cruz in the hall, there would be some ass whipping going on out be there, okay? Down, huh? Yeah, I, this ain't no. Well, I'm you sorry, know- go ahead. I think it I think it's a testament to her her intellect and her character that she was able to endure what she's uh, and 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 on this final you know that she's able to endure what she uh has endured up to this point. I mean it's just you know she's she was very poised in answering questions. I think she gave very solid answers. Uh, she did some political tap dancing, but I mean, you know, in that environment, it's all sort of kabuki theater, really, to me. You know, by and large, um, you know, the the Republicans were using this hearing uh, as an opportunity, really, to to score points for the midterms. That's really what they were doing. And you could tell because even, even with some of the inane questions and comments that were coming from people like Lindsey Graham and, and Ted Cruz, they also showed a tremendous amount of respect for Judge Jackson in yeah. their opening statements. So <laughs> yeah, no. it was, it was kind of like, uh, you know, it was kind of like you're, you know, especially, you know, I was listening to Lindsey Graham's, uh, their exchange and uh, and watching it, and I thought, okay, so he's starting off really kind of paying, giving her with the, you know, kind of almost suggesting that he knows that she's a great candidate. Mm-hmm. You know, well, he's already but, voted to confirm her twice. Right, 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 exactly. You know, but then he takes this weird turn, and yeah. um, you know, I just think it's kabuki theater on their side. I think yeah. to some degree, even for the the person who is being subject to the questions there's some kabuki theater going on because uh that person knows that there are certain things they can't say you right. know there's certain for political reasons as well as for confirmation reasons and constitutional reasons so it's almost just 
you know, again, I, I say Kabuki theater. It's almost just a, 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 a it's, it's an just exercise. theater period. It's almost just theater period. You know? Yeah. Just, I mean, it's just, yeah. it's, yeah. you know, yeah. I don't know that we, uh, as Americans, I don't know that we learn anything that is particularly substantive in, in many of these hearings. No, I, I agree with you on that. Um, and, and I, I'm, I feel the same way. I don't, um, um, you know, and, and here's the other thing is, is once you reach this point, um, and if you have the backing of, of, you know, the American Bar Association and some of the other lawyers groups and they give you these ratings on things, which uh, I point out a couple uh, of the more recent ones did not. Uh, and that they had some questions about uh, some of these judges that have been confirmed to the federal Kavanaugh bench. Kavanaugh was uh, yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. And and so, you know, you know, it's just the average person does not understand the average voter does not understand the ins and outs of, of a courtroom uh, and what judges do on a daily basis, especially at the federal level, because so rarely. I mean, honestly, if you went out on the street today, if you went over to uh, Bridge Street and and asked a hundred people who passed by you, have you ever set foot in a federal courtroom? I bet you you wouldn't find five people who've actually set foot in a federal courtroom, you know, because it's, it's just a rarity, you know, for, for people to to be involved in, in, in something like that. I mean, it's pretty common to go to, you know, a traffic court or, uh, you know, to have a have something in circuit court, like a divorce or something like that. But, you know, on the whole, for like a federal, you know, for a federal jurist, it, it's this you don't see them. You don't you don't talk to them. You don't know them, uh, you know, for, for most people. I mean, now I would say a lot of people who listen to our podcast probably do, but, uh, you know, they're more involved people. But, um, you know, it's it's just um, it's just something that they don't understand. And so I, I think you're right. It's all for show. This is all for show and for grandstanding purposes. And hell, you could see that from Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley and uh, and the others that, you know, I think it was uh, my friend uh, Ben uh, Sassy said after it was over, uh, you know, these cameras in here. Uh, that's the cause of a lot of our jackassery, uh, you know, and, and he was specifically talking about Ted Cruz being a jackass in there. Uh, in there. It was so he could get a, you know, a soundbite on Fox News for later. And and he got it, you know, immediately after it was over, there were pictures of him from a camera over his shoulder showing him searching Twitter for his own name. Uh, you know, so uh, he could see if anybody was mentioning him about what he had done, uh, you know, and, and raise, you know, just being a complete jackass and during the whole thing. So that's what it's for. That's just what all the grandstanding for. Speaking of, our own jackass went up there to Washington uh, as well. Uh, no, which um, which one of our jackasses? Because our I think AG jackass. Yeah, I know. I, I know. I know. Yeah, you're right. I do need to. <laughs> I do need to be more specific. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's a, our AG jackass, Steve Marshall, uh, uh, was there uh, Thursday morning uh, testifying against uh, Katanji Brown Jackson, who I can assure you he does not know. Uh, right. And has never put anything in front of anybody because he doesn't go into courtrooms. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's he went to oppose her because she's anti-police. She's anti-police, Dave. She's got to be. Oh, she really? is a black female uh, who has been nominated by Democrats. So, of course, she's anti-police. I mean, now, you might could argue that 
her two uncles are both cops, including one uncle who was the chief of police in Miami. And her father is an attorney who often worked with cops. But don't worry, she's got to be anti-police. All right. Wow. So he just decided to argue the the racial subtext. Yes. He wanted optics of of Alabama's white attorney general being opposed to the black Supreme Court justice nominee. Yeah, yeah. And using that particular argument, not, yes. I mean, which, which to me feeds, feeds into a lot of things. It feeds into black lives matter opposition yep. and protests and, and, and the, and the, and the tensions between black people and the police. Yeah. That's uh, you know, that's, that's pretty smart. Republican party. That's pretty smart. Because because they say at the same time they want more blacks to come in and supposedly they've got people even in this state that are trying to connect more closely to the black community. Uh But then they they do things like this, which just show that they really don't care. Let me tell you the only person and I I cannot believe I'm going to say this, uh, Mm -hmm. but one of the only people that I've heard uh, at a national level anyway from from Alabama to attempt any sort of racial outreach uh, and true racial outreach and and not do it with press releases and things. Let me tell you the only person that I know of who's done that, Tommy Tuberville. Um, I know for a fact that Tommy Tuberville has met with a lot of HBCU presidents. I know that he has met with a lot of black lawmakers in this state, and I and he has not advertised any of that, as far as I can tell. He also has a bill uh, proposed uh, to ma- to make a certain week. I can't remember what week it is. Uh, HBCU Appreciation Week, uh, in which they bring uh, HBCU presidents and others up to to DC to talk to them about what they need and hopefully get them some support. Um, and and I, again. You know, I'll, I'll, I will criticize Tuberville for, and as you, as we've documented well yeah, on yeah. this podcast. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, uh, when somebody does something and it seems to be genuine, um, you know, I, I, I will I will say so. And, and uh, you know, and so I think it can be done, you know, and you don't have to be. You don't have to pander to racists. And that's what Steve Marshall is doing. He's pandering to racists. That's all. That's the only reason he's there. He, he was there because it looked good for him personally to be there. there was, he, has no, he has no real bone to pick with Katanji Brown Jackson. There's nothing that he can say, no, no true fact that he can present to that committee, to that Senate hearing, and, and, and say that, you know, this is something that he is, he is truly concerned about, this specific thing. He doesn't have anything. He doesn't, he doesn't know anything. He just wanted the optics of being able to sit there and say this uh, and to oppose this black lady. And, you know, because he knows as the attorney general of the state of Alabama, that plays well with a certain group of people, a group of voters. And he's he's just fine playing that role. He's just yeah. fine doing that. That should be Steve Marshall's moniker. All right. I'm just fine doing anything. 
All right, because that's what he's done from taking the damn appointment from Robert Bentley in exchange for right. investigating the people who were investigating Bentley uh, to taking seven hundred and something thousand dollars in dark money, which he knew was illegal. Uh, it just it just goes on and on with Steve Marshall it, to running the uh, the January sixth money up there to not turning over his calendars to not you know honoring open records laws to to failing the prisoners on a daily basis in this state. There is nothing that he. Will over he he will overlook he will overlook anything at all any law anything that furthers his career that's who he is and I don't know why we we have this problem with him well I, I don't know why anybody would, would think otherwise well you know I will say Josh I don't know that he is dramatically different than other attorney generals that we've had like uh, Troy uh, what was Troy's last Troy name King. King yeah mm-hmm. you know he was about the same. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to disagree, man. I, I listen. I, I have seen. I don't know that anyone that we've had has been as shamelessly devoted to themselves and the furtherance of their careers, uh, and and willing to disregard both the laws, uh, and their responsibilities as much as Steve Marshall has. Well. I think okay. I, I'm I'm not I'm not going to argue you point by point, but I will right. say this, and I know we're about to uh, have to uh, transition to our next segment. But I will say this: uh, when it came to the issue of the death penalty and the value of the human lives of people, Troy King absolutely was as despotic as you're describing. Um, Steve Marshall to be right, right. No, I, listen. I understand your your issues with him and the and the death penalty. I, I do, and I respect that. I respect that. I, but to me, Steve Marshall has taken his uh, the the horrid conditions of our prisons and the mistreatment of so many people, uh, and including uh, the death penalty press releases that he puts out after people have been executed, which are callous and inhumane and and just. Pointless in most cases. But in addition to that, he has capitalized on the mistreatment of these people as well uh, and the ignoring of these people and and positioned himself as some sort of a hero for the state of Alabama fighting off this intrusive federal government that's coming in here. I mean, the Trump Justice Department coming in here, you know, uh, as a bunch of liberals, I guess, to make sure people aren't suffering inhumanely every day. Um, And that's to me is the difference. Okay. I mean, and, and listen, I had my problems with Troy King. I had my problems with Luther Strange. Um, they, you know, they did some things that I wholeheartedly disagreed with. And Luther Strange really, really screwed up on the intel of his thing by doing, by doing things that Steve Marshall has doing daily. All right. I mean, just some of the stuff that he, I mean, it's just, it drives me insane to the detriment of that office. They blew another case this week, uh, the Clark County case. They blew that uh, against the sheriff down there. It's just, it's insanity. And I'll tell you this, it gave me great joy to watch Senator Whitehouse on Thursday just step on Steve Marshall's neck and just <laughs> make him look like an idiot uh, by, you know, by repeatedly asking him if Joe Biden was the duly elected president of the United States. And Steve Marshall, I, 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 I hope, I would like, if we could, to play that clip. It's a very short clip. It's about 15 seconds or so long. Is 
Joseph R. Biden of Delaware, the duly elected and lawfully serving president of the United States of America. He is the president of this country. Is he the duly elected and lawfully serving president of the United States? He is the president of our country. Are you answering that, omitting the language duly elected and lawfully serving purposefully? I'm answering the question, he is the president of the United States. And you have no view as to whether he was duly elected or is lawfully serving? I'm telling you he's the president of the United States. No further questions. He refuses to say he's the duly elected president of the United States. The attorney general for the state of Alabama refuses to say that. I mean, and that's... And he knows he is, and he yeah. knows he is, which, which really does a disservice to his office. It's just, um, uh, it, he has it, no it's a reason. clown show, man. It, it is a clown well, show he's pandering. to end all clown he's shows. He's pandering. He's pandering. And that's what, I, and, and, and that was the other thing I was going to say real quickly. I think, you know, Alabama politicians have a history of being uh, brazenly, brutally uh, opportunistic. Mm-hmm. And I think that that he's definitely in the same camp. I mean, George Wallace was that way. Yes. And I think he, he probably set the bar on that. And I think a lot of people have followed, like Troy King, Luther Strange, um, and um, and our guy Steve Marshall, and there are others we can throw in there too, Democrats as well as Republicans. Yeah, I you know I just I just think that um, he is uh, he he he's a dangerous person because of you know, and I think that's highlighted by the you know what, what took place. He should honestly, he shouldn't be in office. He should legally, he should not be in office. He should have been convicted of a felony, and he should not be in office. Um, you know, when he took the money uh, from the pack to pack transfer group, knew knew he had taken it, had been reported, uh, had an opportunity to return it, refused to return it, um, and at that point, the ethics commission had a duty. Um, you know, to to find him guilty of accepting that, and he want, he managed to slide by by a single vote on that and avoided prosecution. Um, he should have he should have been prosecuted for that. It was a clear violation, and I'll tell you how I know it's a clear violation because the Democratic Party has since asked if they could do the same thing, and the Ethics Commission told him no. That was against the law. Hmm. So yeah, hmm. yeah. Uh, so he did it. Everybody knows he did it. Uh, his Republicans in that race turned him in for it. And so, I mean, it's, you know, that's where how, we are. How does a, how does a state function? How does a state function when after something like that has transpired? I mean, how does the, how does the rule of law, how is it maintained when your top law enforcement official does something like that? Oh, listen, buddy, it gets worried. It functions exactly what we've got. What you get when you elect somebody like that who's willing to do that, you get exactly what you expect out of that, which is a guy who will then go on to fund the January 6th, uh, you know, help fund the January 6th insurrection, uh, who, you know, who will hide uh, open records, who will uh, shirk off his duties, who will ignore the pleas of prisoners in, in jail and to the point that the Trump DOJ has to come in uh, and take over the investigation. That That's who you get. OK, you have somebody who is completely ignoring consumer uh, issues uh, on, on things and consumer complaints. It. It's a mess. You have somebody whose office is continually blowing prosecutions that should be in the bag prosecutions of public corruption. Um, you know, look, look at Brookside. 
How many times was that shit in Brookside reported to that office? Right. And they ignored right. it until it blew up from John Archibald's story. Mm-hmm. All right. That's the same mm-hmm. thing. How, the Pritchard Water Board how, yeah. was reported four years ago. Mm-hmm. This is what you get when you elect somebody like that. All right. Uh, and I'm not telling people to elect a Democrat, which you would. Uh, but I'm telling yeah. you to elect competent damn people to the office. You had right. a chance. They could have, you know, they could have elected Alice Martin. They could have elected Alice Martin. I guarantee mm. you, world would be different right now with Alice Martin. <laughs> and I, listen, she's no friend of mine, but right. she would have done the damn job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, all right. Let's slide out of here. We'll come back in just a minute. Get uh, Anthony Daniels in here. Uh, we're <sighs> sorry, get worked up over this. Alabama politics this week. Back in a minute. I'm David Person with Alabama Politics This Week. You know, you listen to me and Josh every week, and we have a blast as we talk about Alabama politics and culture and as we interview newsmakers and journalists about Alabama politics and culture. Thanks for your support of this great podcast, and I hope that you will continue to not only listen, but to share it with your friends And also give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to it. Thanks a lot. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon, David Person. Uh, We are happy now to have with us uh, House Minority Leader Anthony Daniels. I mean, maybe happy is overstating it. Uh, We're, you know, (laughs) mildly amused to have him, uh, I guess. Uh, No, I, I'm kidding. Uh, we love Anthony and uh, and appreciate what he does, uh, you know, for for the state and for uh, for Democrats all over. And um, but I, I got to say, man, um, I watched the the press conference last week after the passage of the divisive concepts bill, otherwise known as the critical race theory bill uh, that Republicans in the House have passed. Um, and you seemed like you were really, really angry. Well, angry is just uh, an understatement. Uh, I was, more than anything, you know, I was actually mad as hell, uh, um, really, to be put it plain. Um, because when you see individuals focusing on issues that further gives our state a black eye, uh, when we're when you're talking to uh, folks that are in, you know, whether it's advanced manufacturing or whether it's in um, the technology space, they find it to be very difficult and very tough uh, when recruiting and being able to to really talk about selling Alabama. How do we sell Alabama and attracting the talent that we need? And it's become very difficult for them to be able to sell the state of Alabama based upon uh, our past, but also our repeating of our past by pushing pieces of legislation that reminds people of, hey, you say that this is a new Alabama and this is not like the old Alabama, but your actions and your policy and your behavior uh, says the complete opposite. It, it tells us that you are who you say, who who we know you are, 
and that's that's not the Alabama that we all want uh, to to promote long term. Yeah, it is. Uh, you're right. It's uh, it's kind of the uh, was it Dennis Green uh, that went on the rant about we are they are who we thought they were, uh, and and I, um, I often have these conversations with people from from outside of the state uh, when they ask about um, you know how Alabama is, and I you know and I try to you know I try to say it's it's not you know it's it there, there are pockets of people that do certain things, and then you know and these but these sorts of bills. Um, and these sorts of when, when you take and put into legislation that that sort of hatefulness uh, on things, um, it it really it really sends a strong message, I think, to, to people outside of our state that there's not a lot changed. They're still pandering to that same group and they're still pushing these ideas. And what to me is is most frustrating is we don't have to do that. It, there, you know, there, there's no reason for us to do that other than it's cheap votes, right? Well, I think that what we're trying to do, what, what they're trying to do is attempt to um, continue Trumpism through whistle, dog whistles, and in hopes that it will drive out voters uh, that are more Trump supporters out to the polls uh, in the upcoming election. But research has already demonstrated that when Trump is not on the ballot, there's a 300,000 vote drop off in Alabama. And so what they're attempting to do is, in my mind, they may not think what they, the actions are, are, are considered racist actions, but hey, as I said on the floor, the racists think they're racist. And so that's all that 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 really uh, that's really happening is um, and they're trying to promote that. But at the same time, they're losing common sense individuals that are more moderate in their thoughts uh, and more uh, people that are more about promoting uh, Alabama um, as a place to to live, work and play uh, and raise your family. Uh, and so it's making those individuals scratch their head. But at the same time, what, sh- what they should also see is that Donald Trump also lost suburban uh, um, voters at a, a record number. And they're looking they're They're actually following the same playbook, which is proved in 2020 is not a winning playbook. <laughs> yeah. So, Anthony, I'm, I'm glad you you kind of brought up the politics of this because I, 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 one thing I've learned through the years is that you, you're very astute when it comes to pol- politics and perception and strategy. And I want to pick your brain on, on, on the, on those aspects for a couple of minutes here. So let me start with this. Um, it appears as though there is a real sort of unraveling of the Republican Party in Alabama that has begun. And, and I'm not saying that it's huge, but, but if you look at what's happening in the U.S. Senate race on the Republican side, it does seem as though there's this dramatic unraveling that's happening that could possibly indicate more of a vulnerability 
in the general election. Do you share that point of view or do you disagree with me on that? Well, I think right now, um, David, those individuals that are promoting and pushing the policy, the policies that you see displayed front and center on your television screen are not thinking about the long game. Because at the end of the day, your legacy and, and, and you will be judged based upon what you did during these particular times. And 20 years from now, many of those individuals, their, their children, their grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, when learning about their contributions to society, will know and learn about where they stood during these, during these particular type of times. And so I don't think they're thinking through the long game. I do think that they're trying to hold on to something that is really leaving them, which is young people, uh, which is uh, folks that are been, have a tremendous amount of exposure, uh, folks that have been very well educated, uh, folks that, are, uh, that consider themselves to be do-gooders, right? Mm-hmm. They're losing all of those people's in record uh, people are in record numbers, and mm. but they're thinking about the instant gratification of winning today, but they're not seeing that they're going to lose tomorrow, right? And 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 their legacy. And I say the same thing about folks in the legislature: is that what will your legacy be? Will your legacy be de- defined by the persons that allow a person that's mentally ill or a bad guy to get access to a weapon by passing permitless carry or uh, pushing a, a, a bill that's called anti-riot bill, but another way to uh, prevent individuals from pre- peacefully protesting and assembling, or will it be uh, trying to erase history uh, and, and not telling the full story and, and trying to control speech? Uh, or will it be, discriminatory practices of the individuals that are uh, from the LGBTQ community. And so their legacies are being defined, but it's up to folks like you and, and Josh and others throughout the state to make certain that those individuals understand that they're defining a legacy for themselves for generations to come. Is this how you want to be remembered? And that's that's what I don't think they're really understanding and seeing. Mm-hmm. What do you see as the path forward for Democrats in in light of of what you're talking about and even what I was suggesting? What what do you what's your prognosis for how things are going to go? Not not necessarily just in the midterms or even 2024, but but even beyond that. I, I think that there are a few lessons that the Democrats have to learn. The Democrats have to come together on one cohesive agenda on things that's going to improve the livelihood and situations of all people, regardless of where they're born, how they're born, uh, their, their race or so, uh, social economic status or sexual orientation. How are we going to provide a pathway for people to be able to make a decent living long term? I think that once the Democratic Party start developing a cohesive message and understanding that simplifying a message uh, is good. If you 
because right now we spend so much time trying to explain our position on things and you further complicate it. So being simple and understanding that, uh, you know, how to communicate with the average person. And, and I think, I don't even think the Democratic Party has figured out all of the different constituencies within it, within the party. I don't even think they've figured out what those people need and want. I think we, we look at the flavor of the day and we allow someone to come on the scene and say, oh, we should do this, right? But I would tell you as a Democrat and a small business owner, uh, there are some things that frustrates me when we take on an issue without thinking through it. When you start only talking to people that are recipients of signing checks on the back instead of those that are signing checks on the front, it become it become very it become one sided. And so, mm-hmm. until we kind of open ourselves up to having think tanks in every state like the other side have, so that we can really drill down community by community instead of taking these one size fit all approaches to governing in every place in America, right? We got to start drilling down and actually allowing think tanks and others to to help to help us develop municipal and state legislative policies that's going to improve the livelihood of people. Until that happens, the Democratic Party is only going to be talking about the Republican Party and what they're how bad they are. But that when we're not adding new voters to our category then we're still going to be in the same place that we're in today, 20 years from now. Well, you have, uh, you brought up think tanks and Josh, this is my final question. Anthony, you brought up think tanks. You've actually pioneered that in this state. Uh, I know, I know things may have gotten a little off track due to COVID, but where, where does that stand? And so we're still, uh, we're still having conversations about it. I think we're, uh, closer, uh, to developing a think tank that's going to promote and help help local and state leaders understand policy in the communities that they represent on how to help those communities, uh, whether it's a community that's in you know that's not being very well educated, understanding what education policies are going to help those communities uh, provide a pathway out of poverty, what employment opportunities. And so, yes, we're working on that and we're still working with in partnership with a lot of other organizations uh, that believes it's a great idea to have a think tank. It's not necessarily a democratic think tank, but it's a think tank that's going to promote pro-growth and pro-opportunity policies uh, that from a municipal to the state level. We had uh, Representative Laura Hall on uh, last week's show. And uh, one of the things that she mentioned was... Uh, that she wanted to see from the state party um, more more of a promotional effort, um, something that that kind of highlights the fact that there is for uh, for voters in this state another option, um, and and you know it it's something that that I have argued for a while that it seems as though there are, there are a lot of, of Democrats in this state that almost apologize for being Democrats, uh, from time to time, you know, they kind of, Oh, you know, I am a, I am a liberal or, you know, I am a, I am a blue dot in this red state, you know, instead of saying, Hey, you know what here, you know, this is what we're going to do. This is what we would like to do. 
here's here's our here's what we're presenting you people who go to work every day here's our options for you this is what we believe in this is what we support and, and I mean has there been any thought uh at the at the state level or you know from just from you of of, of looking at an idea of, of putting out a, an ad an ad that just that doesn't highlight any single candidate but highlights the Democratic Party overall something that pushes the party out to people well, just I would tell you, um, from from a personal standpoint, and as as a Democratic caucus House caucus leader, um, you know I put out pieces. In fact, I did in the last twenty four forty eight hours. I wrote an opinion piece talking about mm-hmm. education and where we are uh, as it relates to the voucher program, why it's a bad idea, and what we should be investing in. And so. But what, what we've not had an opportunity and been very fortunate to have is a lot of these things are not necessarily picked up by the weeklies or papers mm-hmm. all across the state. So therefore, uh, the people that we're trying to communicate with, they can't hear us because they're not receiving what we're competing with Fox News and these other places where a local message is not necessarily filtering through those particular talking heads. And so until... Uh, this state and the media of this state uh, focus on creating a balance in a broad way. You know, you guys are doing a great job of making certain that we're you're telling, you know, giving us an opportunity to tell our side of the story. Mm-hmm. But we're we're competing with television broadcasts that we don't necessarily have enough bandwidth or resources to be able to spread our message, and that's kind of what has been frustrating. And so. We got to go back to the basics, and that's what we're 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 prepared to do now. Is getting on the ground, right? It's the last thing, I, and because I, I know you got you've got to get out for for another meeting, and and so I, it, it honestly, I you know I, I you, you know how I feel. I think you're doing a, you're you're doing a great job, and I know some of the things that you do behind the scenes to support stuff. Um, where do you feel like right now? Uh, you know, uh, let's say, what, what are we, a year and a half or so into this changeover in, uh, in the um, in the party that took place, uh, uh, you know, a couple of years ago? Where do you feel like things stand today? Do you feel like there's been enough progress or, or are you frustrated? Are you happy? Uh, where, where do you think things are? Well, I, I would say, you know, the uh, unfortunate part about the transition is that there's a transition during COVID and we're con- we continue to be in COVID. Uh, for me, I think that uh, we do have leadership at the state party that's willing to challenge the other side mm-hmm. and that's been willing to uh, go after them on, on, on a lot of different things, uh, whereas we didn't have that before. And so the messaging piece is strong. I think that some of the areas that uh, we've been I think that there there's been a focus on uh, and probably needs to be more of a focus on is more capacity building at the local county party level. Uh, but it's very difficult to do that during the pandemic because many of your county parties are still meeting remotely. And so I think that building capacity at the local level and paying attention to building building that capacity in those local areas. Uh, and getting some wins under your belt so that you can then start building up. Um, do I think that we're in a position to compete statewide right now? I don't think so. I think that uh, we got to have the honest conversation 
with the donors of the Democratic Party and people in general. We're just we're not there yet. It's a long it's the long game. And if you're not prepared to to, to play the long game, uh, then this is going to be the conversation we will be having 10 to 20 years from now. Play the long game for long term success. Republicans didn't take over Alabama overnight. They started with local races. They started with 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 countywide races in different municipalities across the state. And then they started building a creating an echo chamber in those particular communities to where you knew uh, very well their messaging was what are the Democrats not doing? But now the Democrats have to create uh, the same sort of similar situation to talk about what the Republicans are not doing, but also playing more offense because when a party that's in a minority, they very rarely play offense. But our caucus has been playing offense and defense. And so, but we've not, we don't have the echo chamber uh, to deliver the facts that we need. Right. Well, you know, it's, uh, I think that, that you're right. It's a, it's a, it's a long-term plan and it took, it took Republicans a good 10 years, 10, 12 years uh, of working out that plan from Carl Rove, uh, you know, that he, he came into this state and executed very, very well uh, in this state and a number of others. And so, you know, I hope it uh, I hope it works out because we desperately need another viable party here to cut down on a lot of this nonsense and a lot of the hateful racism that goes on and, and to kind of move us forward. And uh, and we we do appreciate your work and appreciate you, you sliding us into what I know is a busy schedule, man. Uh, we I really, really do appreciate it. And, and we'll, I'm sure we'll be speaking again here pretty soon. All right, man. Thank you guys for keeping keeping us honest and, and really promoting the facts of what's happening in Alabama um, to the people of Alabama. All right, All right. Anthony. Take Thank care. You. Thank you. Yes. Is uh, Representative Anthony Daniels, the House Minority Leader. He is, uh, I mean, listen, he, he, he does, you know, I know a little bit about what he does behind the scenes on things, and, and it's, uh, you know, it's substantial. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, you know, as we mentioned last time he was on, I believe he was uh, headed to Colorado or something to do, uh, what do you know, Aspen Institute, Aspen a Institute. fellow. Yeah. Yeah, he was a fellow. And as we mentioned Anthony, then. Anthony yeah. is, I learned many years ago when I was sitting in, um, in, uh, his office, uh, at his, uh, at his wife's dental practice, uh, I walked in and there was this big whiteboard in his uh-huh. office. And he had the most intricate, meticulous flow chart of ideas and concepts and actions and strategies that I'd ever seen anybody put together. And it was cohesive. And he kind of walked me through it. And that's when I realized this guy, he's astute. He's politically astute. Yeah. Well, and, he, he spends a lot of time on that stuff, man. He yeah, does. Uh, yeah. And he's, he's, he's one of the great political minds of our state. And I think that's why he's the youngest, uh, house minority leader, I think in the history of our state. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, I, and I'll tell you this too. I think, uh, another thing that I like uh, about Anthony is that he always reminds people that, um, yeah, you because know, I think too often there is this uh, friction created within the Democratic Party between workers and business owners, um, and and I think a lot of times that's not ne- it's not necessary. Um, right. it, it it alienates business owners uh, who are otherwise very good people, uh, you know, and um, and I think that they get 
just dumped on a lot of times when you have, I mean, the little mom and pop small business owners, they get dumped on a lot uh, because they get lumped in with the, you know, with some of the greedier major corporations uh, wrongly. Um, and and I don't think it's something that should be uh, that should be overlooked. And I think he brings a pretty good perspective on that, which is why he is very well liked to, within the business community, um, you know, which uh, is, is very bipartisan. The business community is. I know they lean a little more Republican these days because that's where the money and the power is. But uh, at the same time, it's uh, it, he does. I think he does a very good job with that. So, anyways, Absolutely. all right, um, let's slide out of here. We'll come back and uh, and wrap this baby up with uh, with talk of our buddy Mo Brooks and his rough week. <laughs> all right, back in a minute. Alabama politics this week. Hey, everybody. If you would uh, like an opportunity to interact with us here at Alabama Politics this week, uh, we've got a great way for you to do that. Uh, shoot a question over to apwproducer at gmail.com. That's apwproducer at gmail.com. Anything about Alabama politics you want to know about, uh, I don't know, what, what everybody likes to drink or uh, where everybody likes to hang out or you know, whatever, whatever your question may be. Uh, what chances the Democrats might have uh, in the uh, the upcoming midterm elections? Uh, shoot us a question over at apwproducer at gmail.com. apwproducer at gmail.com. Thanks. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama politics this week. Josh Moon, David Person. Uh, you know, appreciate uh, Anthony Daniels coming on. This is oh, this is our uh, this is the spot where I normally do all of my my uh, taking my care of business stuff. Yeah, taking care of business stuff here. Yeah, if you would, uh, if you'd like to send us a message, uh, apwproducer.gmail.com, apwproducer.gmail.com for anything you'd like to tell us. Uh, also, if you're rating and reviews, come on, man, leave a rating. Help us out. <laughs> You know where to do it. Apple Podcast. Just leave us a rating over there. Um, you know, it's, uh, I don't know how your week has been. My week has been okay. Uh, it's been fine. Nothing special. Uh, but I guarantee you very few people have had a worse week than Mo Brooks. <laughs> mm, that's the truth. Uh, that's Mo the Brooks truth. We, don't, dumped him this we week. don't even uh, need him to co-sign that. We know it. That's right. His uh, his his boyfriend broke up with him this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mo Brooks did. Uh, and, uh, Donald Trump uh, rescinded the uh, in, his endorsement of Mo Brooks in the uh, Senate race, which is quite a blow to Mo Brooks because uh, his entire campaign identity had basically been that he was endorsed by Donald Trump. Uh, mm-hmm. Matter of fact, he had changed his Twitter handle to Mo Brooks endorsed by Donald Trump. Oh, had he? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my! That's just dumb. That was yeah. just dumb. It's sad, is what it is. It's just sad. Um, uh, I mean, and so Trump now has Ooh. come out and said that he's he's dumping Mo because Mo had gone woke. Uh, yeah, that's because also if there's one thing hilarious. I think of. Yeah, that's if there's hilarious. one thing I think of as woke. It's Mo Brooks. Yeah. Uh, you know, man, it's so. So this was the whole thing, all right? I mean, I guess we can just lay out the whole thing. This was the whole thing on Wednesday when Trump pulled this thing early in the morning, and then Mo Brooks went scorched to earth. 
<laughs> he just decided, you know what? You're pulling me and ending my political career. Well, then I'm going to do whatever I can to hurt you. And like a scorned lover, uh, he went out and just told everything he could tell. Uh, he gave interviews to NBC, to, uh, to CNN, to all sorts of people telling them that he had had conversations with Donald Trump about rescinding the 2020 uh, presidential election and holding a new election that would put Donald Trump back in the running for president again uh, and put Donald Trump back into office. Uh, and, you know, which obviously is insane. And even Bo Brooks swears that he told Trump that that's illegal and no way that that could possibly work. Mm-hmm. But still, regardless, this is, I want everybody to just think about this, okay? Just, I mean, really, really think about this. This is the former president. At that time, I believe, was still the sitting president yeah. of the United States of America. Yeah. Working with, soliciting the help of a sitting member of Congress to overturn an election, a fair and valid election that had taken place and been certified by Congress. Yep. That, that's never happened before, ever. Well, and let's and let's uh, let's just add a, a detail because uh, in one story that I saw, Josh Mo said that the conversation actually began back in September. Yeah, in September. So before the election even occurred, Trump was so apparently, if Mo is to be believed, um, and and he's not the only one actually who's indicated that that Trump had fears of losing. Uh, prior to the election, so it what Mo's saying is probably true that 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 Trump was already thinking about how to unconstitutionally remain in office yeah i mean it's it's just though we're not putting a proper weight on this it's all mm-hmm. oh my God, that's so crazy ha 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 it's so insane it's not mm-hmm. no that's not that's not the way we should be thinking of this. I mean, it's and, and, you know, and I know it's it's uh, maybe human nature to, you know, to poke fun at things like that and, and to and to just laugh at the idiocy. But idiocy is how coups begin. OK, uh, you know, you have a lunatic at the top who everybody thinks is crazy, but who has for some reason a cult following uh, and, and that changes things. And we know for a fact that there were a number of military people and police officers around this country that were. Uh, very <laughs> beholden, but to Trump, and so you know would follow the man, and you know misguided as they may be, they were still there. This is not something that should be just laughed off. This is something that should be treated seriously by all of us, and particularly by our Congress and by our Department of Justice. Absolutely, um, absolutely. You know, where the hell is Merrick Garland? What I mean is, does he exist anymore? I don't. He, he, you know, and I think that's a great question, especially the more we have, you know, as we've learned more and more about January 6th, he's, he's just a milk toast, uh, milk toast merit is what we ought to call him. I mean, he's just really not stepping up to the plate, aggressively dealing with what was uh, the most egregious act by a sitting president and enablers and cohorts that we've ever seen. I mean, this was the very reason 
what Trump did, and I and I know some people say, "My God, can't you guys stop talking about Trump?" Well, no, we really can't. No, because what Trump did was the very reason why you could argue was one of the very reasons why this country was founded in the first place. It was to prevent an authoritarian dictatorship or monarchy-like ruler, you know, uh, from establishing himself or herself. That's what, That was the whole point of the founding of America, to prevent this kind of stuff. And yet, this is what has happened. You know, I think somebody quoted... Um, Madeline Albright, and I, I'm I'm going to I'm not going to get the quote exactly right, but the essence of it was this: uh, you know, democracy, the American democracy, may be the greatest form of government, but it's also the most fragile, and we see that now. We see yeah. that now with what Trump did. So, getting back to Mo, I think um, you know his. <sighs> The way that he just, I mean, I'm going to say, I'm going to just say it this way. The same way that Trump was giving Putin a lap dance for four years, Mo Brooks has been giving Donald Trump a lap dance. (laughs) He really has. He's been giving him a lap dance. Now, of course, I could have used another phrase that I used before we went on the air. Uh, I'm not going to use that. Now, listen, I'll say this, though, that your lap dance uh, reference there does make me understand more about that other phrase that you used. So go go ahead. uh, I'm I'm staying away from that other phrase for now. But 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 uh, but he absolutely did. I mean, he he basically gave him a lap dance. Yes. This is what and this is what he now has to show for it. And and I think this should be a lesson to I, I said I said before we, we started recording, it should be a lesson to Republicans, and it should be, but I think it also ought to be a lesson to just politicians, period. Be a person of principle. Have the guts, the courage, the cajones, the balls, if you will, to yeah. stand up for what you believe. Yeah. Stop being punks. Yeah. You know, be a be a Mitt Romney in a room yes. full of Ted Cruz's. You know, yes. Uh, I, I mean, and listen, I I'll be honest. I there there are not many people, Democrat or Republican, that I admire more uh, in politics today than Mitt Romney. Um, and, and I know that, that I know that he and I don't agree politically on on a lot of social issues and things like that. And I know right. he takes some stance that I would I would disagree with. But I'll say this for Mitt Romney. Um, it, it, it's easy, it's easy to be, um, or easier, I'll say not, maybe not easy, but easier to be, uh, an AOC, uh, a Bernie Sanders, somebody like that in the democratic party. It is hard, hard to be Mitt Romney in the Republican party every single day to come in and hold on to what you believe is right in the face of all of these people taking the political, uh, a political stand against you uh, and criticizing you and throwing you under the bus for things. It, it's very hard to do that when your own party is pulling against you on, on a lot of these damn things well, um, and, and to stand kind of in the middle. I, I, and listen, I just, you know, I, in light of this Mo Brooks deal, you know, and, and watching him, um, just completely, and you, you, you said lap dance. Uh, I mean, yeah, but just completely surrender to this person, which is not uncommon. 
is not uncommon. The, the entire party now is surrendering to this person that is so totally narcissistic and so totally in it for himself. But because being beholden to him is politically expedient for them, they're perfectly willing to do it. Uh, I mean, we're going to have this now we're, we're in this race for the U.S. Senate in Alabama where Katie Britt and, and Mike Durant, two people who, I, you know, secretly loathe Donald Trump. OK, they, there's no there is no way Mike Durant likes Donald Trump. All right. He was friends with John McCain. OK, there is no way Mike Durant likes him. There's no way he could listen to Trump talk about how he likes soldiers who don't get captured. OK, right. there's right. no way right. he could like this guy. There's right. no way that Kate, I've had conversations with Katie Britt. I know what she thinks about certain things. There's no way that she likes Donald Trump. There's no chance, but they're going to do it. They're going to play this game. They've already both gone to Mar-a-Lago to talk to him and try to get his endorsement once he dumped Mo Brooks. And so we know that this is what's going to take place, that they're going to just cower to this awful, awful person, this person who tried to destroy American democracy. And that is not overstating it, okay? Okay, so now I I agree with you that um, that they have capitulated already to some degree, but I don't think they've capitulated to the extent that Mo did. Do you? No, I'm not saying that. But still, oh, the, okay, all right. Why? Why would they? Why is anyone seeking this man's endorsement? That's my point. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Why? To why are we yeah. at a point here in in our government in this state where it is? beneficial to them to do so. And I'm not, this is the other thing, I'm not arguing that it's not beneficial. It is. It definitely is. It matters to them. Now, I, I'll say this. I think it matters less that who he endorses and more who he attacks than than the other. Yeah, I think that's that's the benefit of well, having Trump. The value of Trump's endorsement well, is not well, necessarily he's endorsing. Well, let's pick this apart a little bit more because... Um, you know, uh, Richard Shelby, uh, Britt's uh, mentor, mm-hmm. he seemed to, and of course, I understand the dynamics that he was in his final term. And so, you know, you could argue he could do whatever the heck he wanted. But but he made he made a real conscious choice to basically, it was almost a variation of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, where he he didn't publicly criticize Trump, to my recollection. But he definitely did not affirm him. And right. he also did not hesitate to make a decision that he knew Trump wouldn't like and, and to take certain positions. Do you think it's possible that if Britt were to follow that model, that she could still get elected? Or that if uh, Durant followed that model, that he could still get elected? Or at least get the Republican nomination anyway? Uh that's why I was saying that the value is not in the endorsement, but in the tearing down of the other person that Trump would do. And so this is what I think. I think that historically, if you look at Alabama and Trump's endorsements here, people don't give a shit what he thinks. OK, they don't. Uh, he endorsed Luther Strange. He lost by a billion. Mm-hmm. Uh, he endorsed Roy Moore. He lost to a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Uh, he endorsed Mo Brooks. He's out of the race already. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't care who Trump endorses. The value here is in Trump. If Trump were to come out 
next week and say, I endorse Katie Britt and I endorse her because I XXX that she's done and because Mike Durant is a John McCain Republican who sold out his own sister. Done. It's done. It's done for Mike Durant. He has nothing else there. And that then his sister's story, uh, the molestation that took place there that he denied uh, would 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 dominate headlines uh, in this state and and around most of those conservative websites that people pay attention to, and that would cause a problem. Now, I don't think he can have quite the same catastrophic impact on Katie Britt's campaign, but. If he were to come out and say that he supports Durant, and I do it because uh, Katie Britt is an establishment Mitch McConnell Republican uh, who's tied to these people, and and I think that then kind of links her up on the same ground as Luther Strange, and she loses ground and would probably ultimately lose. Um, But she's got a lot of money. She's going to have a lot of support from from Shelby, so she can fight that a little more effectively, I think, than, than Durant could because people, he's an unknown in the positives for the most part, other than the Black Hawk Down situation. He's an unknown in the positive, and he's not really from the state of Alabama. So it's easier to knock him down through negative advertising. All right. You start knocking away, chipping away at his mm. uh, his likability. That's it. He's done. Well, so what I'm hearing, though, and what you're saying uh, is that basically Duran has some vulnerable spots that really have nothing to do with Trump. That that are, that are, that would be problematic for him anyway, even if Trump weren't in the picture. The thing with his sister is extremely yeah. problematic. That's yes. just horribly problematic. Yes. Um, and and, um, and but I, I'll say that you're right. Although what Trump does is highlight it to a degree that it's no longer that it becomes the thing about Mike Durant for for a period of time. Well, yeah, but I, but again, I guess I wonder about, you know, my feeling is that the people of Alabama, you know, as you said earlier, they really don't care. They don't like being told who to vote for. Right. So I'm thinking that if, if Mike Durant did not have the problem with his sister, um, if he didn't have the problem of being perceived not to really be, it's, it's sort of being almost a carpetbagger. Mm-hmm. If he didn't have those two problems, I, I don't know that it would matter if Trump, you know, highlighted those things or, or, or attacked him. I think what makes him vulnerable just makes him vulnerable, period, is yeah. what I'm well, saying. Yeah, probably so. I, I mean, you know, the problem with Durant is is that he has he has no... You know, he has nothing on the other side of those things to lean on, you know, where you had Tommy Tuberville was kind of the same candidate, except for Tommy Tuberville had that coach stick, you know, where he'd been around. He could lean on this. You know, you know me. I was Mm. in Auburn. I was in all your houses and all this and been around to eat barbecue joints, you know, Mm. that folksy nonsense where Durant does not have that. He doesn't have anything to lean on on that side of things. And so if someone highlights these negatives over here, it is a catastrophic thing for him 
You know, and, and I, Katie Britt and that campaign or whoever, whatever PAC supports her, they can certainly do that without Trump's assistance. And they're going to do it. I mean, it's coming. You know, it's coming uh, because his favorabilities at this point are off the charts. And that's just simply because nobody has has really gone after him. Uh, his unfavorables, I want to say, was there was a split like something like 54, 13. Okay, which is at this point in the race, really, really remarkable. And it means that nobody was paying any attention to him and nobody ran any attack ads against him. Um, And so he's going to get that now. Uh, Somebody's got they're going to come after him pretty strongly now. And it's going to (laughs) be it's going to be rough. But I, I just think that you reach a different segment of people and it becomes so much more hyper focused and people become more hyper aware of it. When you have somebody like Trump, who is so visible, uh, comes out and says these things about Durant and highlights it himself, that it hurts him more than I think immediate hurt is is off the charts. Okay, so let me ask you another question, a different question before we run out of time. Uh, Are we prematurely are we prematurely digging Mo's grave? No, you don't think so? No, he's done. He's done. He was done. He, I think he was done beforehand. And I'll tell you the reason why I thought, I thought he was done back in, uh, in the fall, honestly. And, so did I. and I'll, so did I'll I. tell you the reason why I okay. felt that way was because of the fundraising numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's right. Most of that fundraising was not coming from inside the state of Alabama when he was not getting the small donations that somebody, uh, with his problems and, uh, limited viewpoint, um, uh, you know, when, when that wasn't when that wasn't reaching the grassroots level that he needed, uh, especially in the southern half of the state. Uh, and he wasn't he wasn't getting shit from down south. Uh, and when that happened, you know, I knew that he was going to have some real trouble because you knew the money was going to come in behind Katie Britt. Uh, you know, she had those connections and she had, you know, look, there's a lot of things that you can say about Katie Britt. I, I, I mean, I like her as a person. All right. Which probably doesn't help anybody. Uh, you know, I know that she said some crazy things to, to try to get votes over things. And I'm not telling anybody to vote for the, for her at all. That's not my that's not what I'm saying here. But I'm just trying to explain why she's also the favorite candidate of a lot of people, because she can go in and hold a conversation with them. And people don't think she's off the wall, batshit crazy. Right, all right. right. I agree. You know, I agree. That's, that's the reason she goes in, she talks to them. She's been in that office with Shelby. She knows how the ins and outs of how to get money to people on things. And that's all they want. They, yeah, at the end of the day, comes, it's money. She comes across and I'm not, and I obviously would never vote for her, but she comes across as a very likable person. Uh, Mo Brooks does not come across as a likable person. But the other problem with Mo is, you know, in addition to the other things we've talked about, I don't think Mo has ever really figured out that his main job that he needed to do his main job, which (laughs) was to deliver for the state of Alabama. You know, I think he actually thought that he was like a blues brother on a mission from God or something. To go in there and, you know, and attack various things and people. And I mean, seriously. Well, no, it's a, no, I'm laughing because it's so spot on what you just said. I've never thought of uh, uh, phrasing it that way, but you're right. <laughs> it's like yeah. he thought he was a blues brother on a mission from God. Yeah. yeah. He never yeah. learned to do the job. Yeah, you're right. It's it's crazy. And, he, it's, and the same in the passion that he had all of, over all of his ideological, 
you know, positions and issues and, and pet projects and whatever else, he should have invested that in the job. If he yes. had done that, he yeah. could have, he, he you know, he probably could have written his ticket in this state. Yeah, he, could, he probably could have. And you're right, because he would he would actively oppose things that helped his district. You know, he would I mean, he would go in and actively work against getting defense contracts for 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 this district uh, up here. And it, it was insane. Those people hated him. You know, that's the reason why Mike Durant is more liked by them is because he's one of them. He's one of those people that knows what you need. And and, and it's just you're right, man. It, it he, he didn't in 10 years in more than 10 years. He had one resolution passed to get a post office renamed. I mean, that's what he did. He didn't do anything else. He, nothing else he sponsored did anything. He never once worked with the other side of the aisle on anything. And, and he took pride in that. And that's not something that, that serious people want from their representative or, or their senator. They want you to go and work shit out so their money keeps flowing. All right. So, so the th- so the government works, and and it's not just necessarily about sending money to people. Okay, it's these things have to be built. All right, and, and people always have this, you know, distaste, or they act like it's distasteful when you say, "Well, you know, they're sending money back home." Oh, well, what are you doing that? You know, wow, look at all that waste. Somebody's gonna build the rocket. Somebody's going to build the missile. Somebody's going to build the plane. We're going to spend the money on this stuff. Yeah, it might as well be us. Okay, and. I just, it, is, it, it, you're is, right about Mo Brooks. You're right about Mo Shelby Brooks. Why Shelby had such an illustrious career? Shelby no took doubt. care of Alabama. He, he was Alabama focused, right. and you know he's probably as conservative as Mo. Uh, I don't know if he's more conservative than Mo, but no, he's, he's not as conservative as Mo. He's a Democrat. Well, uh, okay, he is. Uh, okay, he is. Right. He was. He was. He was a conservative Democrat, though. He was yes, a he was a conservative Democrat. He's, Democrat, a, he's, but, a, he's truly yeah. a conservative person, and yes. but he understood that he had to deliver. So he, he, you know, I watched him. I've been in meetings with him. He was a man who was reasonable. He was practical, and he wasn't uh, this sort of raging partisan lunatic. No. He's your grandfather. Is, you know, he's your grandfather. Yeah. He's a he's a guy that that doesn't have any ill will, uh, but you know, his ideas are not as progressive now as maybe they would were in the seventies. Um, that you know, his ideas for government and things are are now concert, considered conservative, um, and and he's never really changed that. Uh, and but he's not a bad person, and you can have a conversation with him, and you can come away with uh, you know a, an understanding, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. And he and he didn't and he didn't devote you know the bulk of his energy towards these ideological battles. No. You right. know, he was partisan, but he wasn't like ridiculously partisan. Yeah, he know? understood the game. You know, yeah. he understood the game of how uh, you don't stay, you don't become the one of the most powerful men with your, you know, your hand on the on the checkbook, uh, as his was for so many years now, uh, by upsetting the apple cart on a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, and you you took a stand where it was necessary to take a stand if if need be, uh, or you bowed out and and didn't say anything. Uh, you know, if you didn't have something nice to say, you just didn't say anything. And and that was what he did. And and you're right. It would be nice if so many others would take a lesson from that. And I'll be honest and say, while he's no, he will never be as politically astute 
uh, as Richard Shelby. I do like that Tommy Tuberville seems to have decided that the cameras are mostly not for him. Um, you know, he, he's not running to him and doing the crazy, some of the crazy thing. Now he's done some, don't get me wrong. And, and I know it sounds like all of a sudden I love Tommy Tuberville because I also praised him for the HBCU stuff earlier, but, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm not saying that at all. He's not going to be that. I just hope he continues this trend of staying his ass off TV. That's all I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. All right. I just don't want to see him anymore. I don't want him to talk about things. I don't want him to say stuff. Um, you know, work on daylight savings time, man. Just work on daylight savings time. That's all. <laughs> All we need you to do, um, I, you know, it's just you're right. I mean, I, I just where my frustration comes in in a lot of this with with Brooks is, oh, first of all, I'm very happy that this is the end of him politically. You know, hmm. now he can he can just go on and we can do something else. Uh, but I, I think that, um, I, I just it it was such. He, he, he played such a role in furthering the lunacy of Donald Trump. He played such a role in enabling Donald Trump that I don't think anyone should now give him a pass or praise because when it became um, beneficial for him personally to throw Donald Trump under the bus, that he, he all of a sudden did so. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what's happening now. And I'll tell you this. I am really, really sick of a lot of people, media people included, waiting and holding on to information that would incriminate Donald Trump until it's beneficial for them to release it. Uh, Bill yeah. Barr is another one. Yeah. And, you know, uh, and uh, there's some journalists from The New York Times and from The Washington Post uh, that have written books that, that benefited themselves personally, uh, where they held on to information that would have been nice to have back when mm-hmm. it was actually occurring. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think that's bullshit. Uh, yeah, and yeah, and yeah. I think it's all led to where we are today with this thing. Well, it uh, definitely is, has not helped. I mean, it's, you know. Trump Trump created plenty of problems that I think, you know, guarantee that we would be here. But but people in the know, I agree with you, people with knowledge who could have uh, clarified some things, elucidated some things should have done so and should have done so for the sake of our our government. And I, and I just want to say one thing before we get out of here about Tuberville. I sure. agree with you about Tuberville and the HBCUs. I think we got to give credit where credit is due. And and while, like you, I probably won't agree with 90% of what Senator Tupperville does, and I'm probably never going to think he's the, you know, uh, I'll say the, 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 the great representation of Alabama that Senator Shelby has been, even though I've also disagreed with him on most things. Um, you know, Tupperville, um, he's, um, you know, I, as an HBCU graduate, as an HBCU alum, I like what he's doing and I appreciate it. Yeah. And, I, and I think it's a no-brainer. It's one of the smart plays that Republicans could have been making years ago and should have been making years ago. If they want to connect with the black community, you know, what, what's the downside of HBCUs? You I mean, lose there's the no downside there. You lose the races. Well, that's our, that's our whole problem. That's the that's the whole struggle within that party is uh, outreach to African Americans, which they would love. A lot of people would love to have that and to have and, and to take that moniker off their back. Uh, versus 
losing all these people over here that are voting for your candidates because you you pander to the racism. Okay, so and that's, so, so Tupperville has made this calculation. Do you think it's going to hurt him? I don't think Tupperville's made a calculation. I don't think I, I think this might be one of the benefits of Tupperville not being very politically astute is that he's he's not necessarily making this calculation. I think that what he did was he he heard this is honestly what I think and what I've actually heard from a few people is okay. he he took heat from former players and people who he was close to who were African American. Uh people who he considered friends and they told him that they were hurt by things that he said and that that they questioned uh, their friendship with him. And I think that thing, though some of those things struck a nerve with him. And I think he went searching for a way in which he could not necessarily make it up to them or, or ease his conscience uh, somewhat, but some way where he could try to start making something right. Uh, that's just my perspective on it. He may, he may would tell somebody that that's idiotic in, in no way. Uh, but you know, from, from people who have been close to some of these situations and some of the people who were, um, his former players, uh, who I've talked to that they said that, uh, that's what they felt like was that he was trying to make amends for some of the things that went on and for the way that he was portrayed, uh, because it was, it hurt him. Uh, it, uh, he hurt himself, I guess, is what they're trying to say. He hurt so, himself, and so he's trying to make it right. So you, okay, so you don't think it was a political decision. It was more of an emotional decision. Yeah, I don't think there's any political upside for him in doing that at all. You uh, think, so you, you do, but do you think that he's actually going to lose support because he's done this? Uh, probably not, uh, because, I mean, it's, in, it's an inconsequential um, uh, effort. You know what I mean? You, you, you call a week HBCU week. Uh, you know, you, you talk to some, to some folks about what they actually need. Now, if he were to come out and say, I am in support of black lives matter. Um, I would like to, you know, and, and take on a more controversial issue, police mm-hmm. reform, something along those lines, mm-hmm. then maybe he would lose some support uh, among some of his diehard people. But we all know that you ain't beating a sitting senator, you know, from from the majority party in the state. You're not beating it. You're not beating a Republican sitting senator. You're not going to do it. And it, mm-hmm. it don't matter what he says at this point. He mm-hmm. has so much leeway. He could do a lot of different things uh, as long as there's no catastrophic uh, idiocy on his behalf. Then he could do a lot of different things. So, you know, I, I don't think losing a handful of voters here or there is going to make much difference to him. Okay. Oh, uh, but and before we get before we do slide out, uh, we do need to mention that our right wing note of the week is is Mo Brooks because right. he's he's tied a certain appendix <laughs> into a knot. So. <laughs> I don't know. What are you talking about, Josh? What appendix? What you, I don't know what you're talking I, about. I heard that phrase from someone at some point. I don't know who, but he's. Tied this appendage in a knot over his position with Donald Trump. And so uh, we wanted to make sure that he was our right wing note of the week. So. That doesn't ring a bell, but okay, I'll go with that. Yeah. Listen, I have no idea where it came from, especially if David's past dress. Uh, so. 
Uh, all right. Uh, listen, on that uh, joyous note, let's uh, let's slide ourselves out of here. Uh, <laughs> not joyous for next... whoever's appendage is being tied in the knot. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, that's what makes it joyous for us. Uh, <laughs> uh, until next week, y'all be safe out there. Peace. <laughs>